We're in a series right now, and by the way, my name is Bob Burns, and I'm on the staff here at Seven Hills Fellowship. Brian Pierce is the, is the founding and senior pastor, and Brian started a series two weeks ago called Thrive. How do we thrive? How do we grow and mature and develop uh, as persons, as human beings? And uh, in, the, in this series, there's actually five parts to it, um, and the the first part was called Slow Down, and BP talked about the fact that God has built into our very needs as human beings the chance to rest and to Sabbath, really. God rested, and we're called to rest as well. The second week, last week, it was Go Long. And the idea there is perseverance, hanging in there, stick to and the need for that in our lives. This week, we're looking at Give Up. Uh, which is on forgiveness. The next week, it, next week is going to be go deep, and then finally to love well. So this week we're looking at this idea of give up, or the topic of forgiveness. And to get into this, to understand this, I'd like us just to take a moment to watch this video. So this morning we're talking about forgiveness. C.S. Lewis made a pertinent comment one time. He said, "Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea." until he has something to forgive. And it's really the truth. Forgiveness is a painful topic. I can hardly watch that video without feeling pain myself and and thinking about painful relationships and experiences. It's impossible to live in this world and not have to forgive. This is a broken world, and we are broken people. And broken people hurt broken people. For many of us, forgiveness is a daily issue. Family relationships, friends, roommates, experiences in the workplace, experiences at school, neighborhood. Many of us carry open wounds of past pain, of unresolved conflict. There's not a person sitting here this morning that hasn't had to deal with and isn't continuing to deal with and will for the rest of their lives face the question of forgiveness. We know we're supposed to forgive. But how do we do it? How do we forgive? There's a very interesting phrase that the Apostle Paul uses twice in the New Testament. Um, He says in Ephesians and in Colossians both, Uh, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And the first time I read that, and the fourth time I read that, and the fifteenth time I read that, I thought, isn't that great? Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Yeah, that's just an exhortation to, to, to forgive others because I've been forgiven. And that's true. That's true. But the more I reflected on that, and thought through it over the years, the more I've realized that that's not just an exhortation to us to forgive, but it's a model of how to forgive. How do we forgive others? We are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how has God forgiven us? And how are we called to forgive others? So this is really a very simple two-part sermon this morning. How has God forgiven us? And then how are we called to forgive others? 
And the first thing we want to do is ask the question, how has God forgiven us? And you can see from the slide, God has forgiven us with two aspects. There's two aspects to forgiveness. Or you might say it's like two sides of, of a same coin, heads and tails of a coin. There's two sides to forgiveness. The first is the legal side, and the, the second is the relational side. There's a legal transaction that has to happen for forgiveness to take place. But then after that, there's a relational dynamic that must occur for the relationship to be sustained. So first, let's look at the legal side. Three aspects to the legal side. The first thing we have to understand as we think about how God has forgiven us in Christ is that we have something to be forgiven for. We broke God's law requiring perfection. God created us in his image and expected us to live perfect lives. And we had the capacity until our father and mother, Adam and Eve, sinned. And since that point on, no one has been able to live the perfect life that we were created for. And so Paul describes this in Ephesians by saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's as graphic as it can be, isn't it? He describes our condition as being dead. Our transgressions and sins have made us unalive to God. He says we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of, of mankind. That's a, an amazing and terrible condition to be in. What can a dead person do? What can a dead body do? Absolutely nothing. And Paul says in our sins we were dead. The good news is, that Christ Jesus' sacrifice on the cross fulfilled God's expectations of perfection. It fulfilled the law of God. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians there said, He made Him, that is God Himself, made Jesus to be sin. He literally took the sin of humanity and placed it on Jesus on the cross. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus, the only perfect person to ever live, had the, the condemnation of sin placed upon him on the cross. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what God did there is, he did a legal transaction. The, the term there actually is an accounting term. It's saying that all of the, the debits that we had in our condition of sin were placed upon him, and all of the credits of Jesus' perfect life were placed on our behalf, on our side of the ledger. So God has fulfilled the law through Jesus' sacrifice. And if, if you're like me, just hearing that, you ask yourself the question, why? Why would, why would God do that? Why would Jesus sacrifice himself like that? Why would that happen? Well, again, Paul says in Titus, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. What he's saying there is not because we've been good guys, not because we've had our act together, not because we've fulfilled all righteousness, not because we've been perfect. Far from it. We were dead. But he said, he did this according to his own mercy. And he did it by the miracle that Steve was talking about earlier. He said, God's doing miracles by the washing of regeneration and renewing of his Holy Spirit. 
that God actually invades the brokenhearted person with his Holy Spirit and regenerates them. That means makes them righteous in his eyes. And he, why would he do that? Purely out of his own kindness and mercy. By grace we are saved, Paul says. This is, this is the legal transaction that had to take place for us to be forgiven, for forgiveness to ex- be experienced. On the other hand, there's a, a relational side. Let me describe this by telling you a story about something that happened to me when I was in high school. I wasn't good enough to make the high school basketball team. I was good enough to make our church league team. Okay, So I was playing on the church league team, and uh, one Saturday afternoon we had a practice, and a friend of... Uh, I was dropped off by my, my, some, one of my family members. I was dropped off at the practice, and I was there. I'd forgotten something, though, and I said, oh, man, I forgot. I need to go home and get whatever it was I forgot. I can't remember what else. So I went to my buddy, Charlie Vance, and I said, Charlie, can I borrow your car, drive home? I had a driver's license. I was old enough. I said, can I drive home and, and get this thing and come back? He said, sure. He flipped me the keys. I had my driver's license on me, get in the car, take off to go home, and on the way home, I totaled his car. I mean... Total it completely, okay? Now, the good news is I had insurance, and I contacted my dad, and, you know, the police came. We were able to contact it. The good news is the legal requirements of the situation were met, okay? Matter of fact, Charlie got a brand-new car out of the deal, which is pretty good. Matter of fact, I ended up having kids in high school later on that week asking me if I'd drive their car for them. Um, the legal transaction was met, okay? But after I got home, my dad said, you know, you have to go over to Charlie's house and meet with his dad and tell him what happened. And you, and you need to think about how you're going to talk to him about that. And, and I went over to, to, to his house, and I sat down with his father, and I said, sir, I, I just want to ask you to forgive me. Uh, I was careless in what I did. It was my mistake. And, and would you please forgive me for, for totaling your car? And his dad graciously said, I understand. He said, I've, I've had accidents myself, and, uh, and I do forgive you. But you see, what my father told me I needed to do was not just settle for the legal side of things being worked out. He said, there's a relational component. You need to go talk to Charlie's dad. You need to work through that. And similarly, God recognizes that there's a relational side, a relational issue with us. Has the legal side that's necessary to be taken care of been taken care of for us to be forgiven? Yes. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that the requirements of God would be met. But here's the key question. Even though the requirements have been met, is everyone forgiven? The fact is, no. There are many people, perhaps people here in this room, who have never experienced reconciliation with God, who haven't experienced the forgiveness of God in their relationship with Him whose relationship with God is still broken because the forgiveness that God offers in Jesus hasn't been received 
and the person hasn't said, Lord God, I am broken. I need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? The relational side needs to be met. God fulfilled the legal requirements, but if we don't confess our sin, our relationship with God is still broken. Even though forgiveness is offered, until we confess our sins, we can't be forgiven. Just like I needed to go meet with Charlie Vance's dad and confess what I had done and ask his forgiveness, we need to be reconciled to God through Christ. And that's, that's what this table that we have in six different locations here this morning is all about. It's for those who have come to God through Christ and have said, I have nothing to bring to you except my brokenness. But I cling to Jesus and his forgiveness. And the Father says, I want to remind you of your forgiveness. Here's a table with bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for you. With wine or juice, which represents his blood poured out for your forgiveness of sins. That's what this table is going to be all about a little bit later here. But the question that we have to ask before we move on to the second part of, the, of our talk is simply this. Have we experienced the forgiveness of God? There's a prayer I'm going to ask to be put up here. And if you haven't been reconciled to God through Christ, I want to offer to you this morning the opportunity to pray this prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, and I'm not going to ask you to sign any pieces of paper, but I'm going to offer to you the opportunity to pray this. And if you have experienced reconciliation with God in Christ, if you know God personally, I'm going to encourage you to take a moment to pray this prayer as well and just renew in your own life your experience of forgiveness with him, okay? So I'm going to pray this out loud. You pray it silently. If this is the first time you prayed it or the 15th or the 100th time, let's remember our forgiveness in Christ. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I want to follow you as my Savior and Lord. Please guide my life and help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that for the first time, I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table today for the first time. But if you prayed this for the umpteenth time, I want to remind you, later that the table is here as a, a reminder and as a confirmation of your forgiveness in Jesus. Experiencing God's forgiveness. How does this, though, relate to my relationship with other people? What does it mean for me to forgive others as God through Christ has forgiven me? How does that happen? In the very same way, there are two sides to forgiveness with other people. The legal side and the relational side. The legal side is the work that we have to do with the pain and the hurt 
that we have experienced in the relationship. You know, when someone has a, a relationship with another and that's been broken, we go through deep, we can go through deep pain, feelings of rejection, feelings of confusion, feelings of anger. How could they do that to me? Feelings of justice and righteousness. This ought not to happen. This is wrong. Something needs to be done about this. Sometimes we want to take it out on the person who's done it to us. A legal transaction has to happen before we can go and deal with that person. That's the, the, the transaction of our own attitude. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 18 where he describes what has to happen. He tells a parable. It's a little bit too long to try to put up on a slide, so I'm just going to share it with you, uh, the, the basic story. Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, there's a, there's a man who is a servant of a king, and this servant built up a huge debt towards the king. Five million dollars he owed the king, far beyond what he had the capacity to repay. Finally, the king brings him in to account and says to the man, pay up your due. And the man says, I I don't have the capacity. I can't pay you. And the king says, throw him and his entire family into debtor's prison until they can pay it off. The man is absolutely broken before the king and says, please, please, I can't repay you. I'll do everything I can to repay you. But please have mercy upon me and my family. Jesus said, you know what? The king forgave the man his millions and millions of dollars of debt and released him. He showed him deep mercy. Then the man, after being forgiven, walks out of the presence of the king and walks into the courtyard, and he sees another servant off in the distance. And he says, that turkey owes me 50 cents. And he goes over to that other servant, and he says, pay up your 50 cents you owe me. This is right after he had been with the king, okay? Pay up the 50 cents you owe me. The guy says, you know, I I don't have I don't have 50 cents on me right now. And the guy, he starts beating on him and says, pay up your 50 cents, pay up your 50 cents. And he said, I can't, I can't, I don't. Please, you know, give me some time and I'll pay you up. Meanwhile, the other servants of the king are watching this and they can't believe what they see. Literally, a man who'd just been forgiven $5 million is beating up his fellow servant over 50 cents. So they go and they tell the king, and the king says, you get him in here right now. And they drag him in here, and they say, you unforgiving servant, here I forgave you $5 million, and you're not willing to forgive your fellow servant 50 cents? And Jesus ends the parable by saying this, should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? You see what he's saying? He's saying, God in Christ, I came here to sacrifice my life for you. Your millions of dollars have been forgiven through my sacrifice and mercy. Should you not now look upon the 50 cents that your fellow servant owes you 
which means the way that they've hurt you, should you not forgive them? He's talking about the way we think and feel about those who have hurt us as we stand before the king, before God himself. So later in Mark chapter eleven twenty-five, Jesus says this, whenever you stand praying before the Father and you remember something that you have against somebody else, forgive them so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. He's saying, look at the transgressions that this person has done that you feel towards this person and remember that in comparison to my forgiveness of you. And then as you stand praying, forgive them. What he's saying here is there's a legal transaction that we have to do before God. There's work we have to do before God regarding how we feel towards those who have hurt us. Does this mean they haven't hurt us? No. They may have hurt us deeply, profoundly. And yet, look at ourselves and look at that hurt in the light of what God has done for us in His forgiveness in Christ. That's the legal side of what we have to do in our relationship. The legal side of our relationship must be handled before God before we seek resolution with the other person. And we have to see our own sin and our own brokenness and their, whatever they've done in the light of who we are. But then when we have done that, that work before God, that legal side before God, dealt with our attitude, done business with God about our hurt, then we are called to go to another person because we're not reconciled with them yet. We've dealt with it before God, but we still have to deal with it before that person. The relational side, just like the relationship with God, you start, you, we have to confess our sins and be reconciled to God. So we have to go and deal with the other person. How do we do that? Jesus addresses this in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. He says this, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Keep this up here, Jack, for a minute, okay? What's Jesus saying here? He says there's a problem that's happened. There's a relationship problem that's happened. There's brokenness in a relationship. Your brother sinned against you. And it's a real sin. It's not something superficial. What are you supposed to do? Well, first, you're supposed to stand before God and deal with your attitude, okay? First, we have to deal with the legal side. We have to get our heart right. We've got to get our attitude right. What happens when we confess our sins before God and recognize our brokenness? We're humble. And with a, hu with a humble spirit, now we begin to address the issue with our brother who sinned against us. And so it says, if your brother sinned, rebuke him. Now, we read that in the English, and rebuke him says, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do, baby. I want to go and let that person have it. I want to let them know what they've done to me. I'm going to go and rebuke them, man. I'm going to lay them low. Unfortunately, that's not what the word means in the Greek. 
And we just don't see that in the English version. I went and did a word study. The word rebuke him here doesn't mean going laying somebody low. The word here actually means to gently go to a person with humility and, and grace and seek to help them understand what has happened and the pain that it's caused you. Do the best you can to help that person understand the brokenness of the relationship and what that's created. And Jesus says, if you go and do that with that nature, with that, with that humility, with that gentleness, and if they repent, it means if they own it, if they say, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I really see what happened there. If they own it, forgive him. And even if they do that seven times in a day, you're supposed to keep extending the same kind of mercy to that person that Jesus has extended to you. But for the relationship to be reconciled, Jesus says, they have to repent. You go and address it with them, and if they repent, forgive them. And if they don't repent... What? Still be ticked off at them? Still tell them what a jerk they are? Tell them they're even more of a jerk because they won't repent? Now, wait a minute. That's, you've, dealt, you've, you've been dealing with your attitude before God. You, you're, you're coming in humility because you recognize that you owe God five million. And you're dealing with your servant fellow servant who owes you 50 cents. We don't have a right to hold it over him. We still have to have standing before God, forgive them, but we can't say to that person, well, I forgive you anyway. Even if you won't recognize what you've done, I forgive you anyway. You can't be reconciled if the other person doesn't repent. Because there's no recognition of the hurt. And by the way, probably you have some repenting to do too. Most likely it's been a shared experience where you need to come and tell them what you've done. Let me give you an illustration of this. I have a friend who grew up in a very difficult home, very abusive father. And my friend became a Christian. And my friend heard about the fact that we're to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now, with a good attitude and a good spirit, but this person went to their father, but they didn't present it in the right way. This person didn't rebuke their father. They didn't explain to their father what they'd experienced and the pain that they'd experienced and the, and the hurt they'd experienced. They simply, this person simply went to the father and said, you know, I've become a Christian, and I want to know, let you know that I forgive you for all you've done to me. You know what this person's response was to their child? Forgive you. Forgiveness. Forgive me. I don't want your forgiveness. I haven't done anything to you. I haven't done anything wrong. Who do you think you are telling me you forgive me? There was no repentance, no recognition from that father about what he had done. And of course, his child then was brokenhearted and felt even worse about their relationship. 
So what the scriptures say is when it comes to the legal side, that's the work we have to do before God, and that's hard work. When we get our heart and our attitude right, we need to go to that person. But not immediately say, I forgive you, not extend forgiveness to them. We have to do the work of understanding one another and what transpired in our relationship and the pain that that's created before we can be reconciled in our relationship with each other. Does that mean I can, again, does that mean I can be ticked off at them and be angry? No, I have to do my legal work before God. If I have a lousy, bad attitude when I come to, to confront the person, they're not going to respond well to it. What Paul says is, forgive one another as God through Christ has forgiven you. So let's, let's do a quick recap. Let's do a quick recap. There's two sides to forgiveness, the legal side and the relational side. Second thing is God has fulfilled the legal requirements for people to be forgiven, but the relational forgiveness has to happen with repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we don't confess our sins, we can't be forgiven. Not because forgiveness hasn't been extended, but because we haven't acknowledged it. Then in a broken relationship... We must forgive in our hearts before God, resolving the legal side. Then we are to address the sin with the other person, hopefully with repentance and reconciliation coming in our relationship. Now, if you're like me, this may have created more questions in your mind than answers. It certainly might have created some feelings some memories of people where there's brokenness. certainly has with me as I've worked on this this week. What are we to do? First we go to God. We deal with our attitude. Then we consider going to the other person, recognizing that there's great risk involved. Now let me also just say as a quick aside, where there has been severe abuse and there hasn't been repentance and a recognition from the abuser, it's questionable whether you can go to that person unless you recognize you may experience more abuse by doing that. So there's got to be godly wisdom involved in this. Okay? But let me share with you the experience of a friend of mine who was abandoned by his wife. This is a person who had been married for numbers of years with kids. And his, one day his wife walks away from him and goes and joins the, the man with whom she was having an affair. Crushed him. Crushed his life. He came to a divorce recovery seminar and through that process heard about the forgiveness of God in Christ. And became a Christian. And this is what he said after he reflected on becoming a Christian. He said, you know, I never understood Jesus' forgiveness until I was divorced. Think about that. Until I went through that pain, I never understood Jesus' forgiveness. He said, when my wife left, I had no desire to work things out with her. 
I would have been happy if she was dead. Literally. Then he said, I came to realize my sin against God was worse than anything my wife had done to me. But God took steps to forgive me. With forgiveness like that, I don't have an alternative but to forgive her and others. Was their marriage reconciled? No. Did she come to a point of asking his forgiveness? Not at the point I knew him, not yet. And yet he was there prepared. If the day came for her to recognize, he was prepared to forgive her and he forgave her before God. Why? Because God in Christ had forgiven him. Brothers and sisters, this is a broken world. We're broken people. We hurt each other. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled to one another when it's possible, when there's repentance. That's what this table is all about, This again. This is a table for repentant sinners who have come to recognize that they have nothing to earn their way to God. But through Christ, they've been forgiven by his mercy. And now they're called to be agents of reconciliation in this world. It's not an easy work. But it's a work that God calls us to. And that's why I call you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, to come to the table. Not because you have your act together, but because you've been forgiven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And having broken it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. And then he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say, then, for as often as we eat this bread or drink this cup, we remember the Lord's death, his death for us to reconcile us to God until he comes. And we recognize our calling to be reconcilers in Jesus. On this side, there is wine in three locations, here on the landing and up top. Over there, there's grape juice in the three similar locations. There's gluten-free bread, available crackers for those who need that over there. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, I invite you to his table. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, if you haven't prayed that prayer we prayed earlier, we welcome you, we love you, we encourage you not to come to the table, though, because this is a table for broken sinners who've repented. We invite those who've repented to come to the table. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner who has hurt others. I've hurt my wife. I've hurt my kids. I've hurt my brother and my sister. I've hurt dear friends. I've made mistakes that I didn't even realize I was making. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, help me to be a reconciler. 
Help me to be approachable and to approach others with the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Help us now, Lord, as we come to this table to receive your loving kindness and your mercy, the confirmation through these elements that you forgive us and accept us as your children, beloved sons and daughters of the living God. Welcome to his table. In Jesus' name, amen.